is too big. Size matters not. Look at me. Judge me by my size, do you? Hmm? Hmm. And where you should not. For my ally is the Force. And the powerful ally it is. Life creates it. Makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us. And binds us. Luminous beings are we. Not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you. Here, between you, me, the tree, the rock, everywhere. Yes, even between the land and the ship. Hey everybody, this is uh, Mark Tiberius Lemke. Chicago Blackhawks fan. I almost said the other name, Tim. Um, <laughs> yeah, I could tell. Almost said Alex. <laughs> this podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, and you can help support the Batman Universe by heading to patreon.com slash batmanuniverse, and also be sure to take TVU feedback survey at surveymonkey.com slash r slash TVU feedback. How did I do, Tim? Did I do good? It's been a while. You did. Yeah, I would say you'd pretty darn good i mean you covered up the almost saying alex just barely so (laughs) was it like you said al that oh wait (laughs) you covered up pretty nicely so and and i do have a cold tim so it's oh gotta take that to account too. yeah Yeah. or i should say i'm getting over a cold uh which is uh i mean like you said tim everybody around me was getting sick and i was like you know washing my hands taking some vitamin c and then what happened happens i end up getting sick for no reason i mean i, I actively tried <laughs> not to so i don't know what's going on Tim. you just gotta wash your hands more uh, i do it so much my hands start cracking i gotta use you know some lotion to make it more smooth really <laughs> start bleeding wow. <laughs> that's how much i wash my hands to <laughs> prevent germs from entering my body <laughs> so you could say i'm Maybe a little bit of a germaphobe, but <laughs> not quite extreme. I wonder why they don't make an antibacterial um, lotion. I know to keep it, yeah, to keep them smooth and keep the germs out. Right, right. You know, you moisturize your hands while you uh, wash your hands. I guess. <laughs> and another weapon I like to employ in my fight against germs: a bottle of Lysol, always by me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, people, I mean, people I'm around that are sick and touch things. Let's get that Lysol spray doorknob, spray the room, spray stuff. <laughs> you know, you're gonna touch that they touch. That is actually pretty smart. Um, but before we get to anything, Tim, I have to ask you. So, how is the Nintendo Switch? Yes. So, as you heard from our last episode, I had an issue with possibly not getting the Switch. But thankfully, after we recorded our episode, Dane. I called again, got it worked out. I even called again later in the week because I got another email saying the same thing. I was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> but it all got straightened out. I got my Switch on the day it was released. Got Zelda, and it's awesome so far. The game yeah. is really good. Playing an HD Zelda game, a brand new HD Zelda game, because they did some remakes a few years ago. But it just, it's awesome. Zelda, 
looks great. It has voice acting and cutscenes, which the series has never had. Which I'm like, finally, you're finally into the modern age of gaming, <laughs> but which has been going on for 20 years, and you finally had voice acting. So that's gigantic. The world just so huge. You just get lost in side quests and just bumping into different dungeons and uh, people that give you different errands and stuff. It's really fun. My only nitpick on it is that one of the mechanics they have for the game to make it really realistic is that your weapons break. Really? A bunch of weapons as you go, but they bust a little too often and it gets a little annoying during battle. So that's the one thing I would change about it right now. But other than that, it's been really really good. And the the story is good? Yeah, yeah. well, the thing is, I haven't gotten too far into it because, like I said, a lot of side quests yeah. and stuff that sidetracked it on, but so far it's good, yeah. Oh, good, good. And the system itself is really cool, too, where the big uh, feature of it, you know, you could be playing on your TV, you need to go somewhere, take it out of the dock and play it with you wherever you go. That feature works great. And I actually needed <laughs> it the day I got it because for some reason I couldn't connect to the Wi-Fi in my room where I have it. So I took out, went to another room where the Wi-Fi would have been better, just took the little handheld art, and I got connected right away to the Wi-Fi, and I was able to download the required update. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, good. overall, I'm really happy with it. Yeah, because I, 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 I heard people were having problems with their Nintendo Switches, like like the pixels weren't working correctly, and uh, the, um, you know those, uh, the, the controller parts that you take off of the screen? Yeah. Like, the left one wasn't connecting very good. I haven't had too much issues with it, actually, pretty much any. I mean, uh, it takes maybe a little while for that one of the switches or the Joy-Cons, the joysticks to yeah. connect, but not that long, like, just a few seconds, and I'm good to go. So I haven't had any issues with it, thankfully. So do you mostly play it on um, your TV, or do you play it on the small screen? No, mainly the TV, yeah. yeah. I did once on the small part of the handheld version of it just to see how it is and how it runs. And it, it's really good. I mean, if you if I do have to go somewhere and need to play it on the go, it'd be more than you know happy to do it because it looks great on right, it. Right, right. So it, it was definitely worth the uh, $300? I'd say so, yeah. <laughs> Getting a great Zelda game. The system's pretty cool. Well, I assume there's going to be some more good games down the line. It's not right away, so <laughs> it'll be worth it in in the end. I think. I saw Skyrim was going to be on there. Yeah, I think it's not coming out to like holiday season. Oh, I see. It's, it's going to be a kind while. Of puzzling because you know that game's five years old now. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't get a port ready in time for launch. But I, well, I well, know. I mean that's a good thing because because that shows that you know they're. Um, you know they're they're opening it up for third party platform. I mean, uh, third party uh, developers. Exactly, and yeah. this needs to last. As we said on the last episode, it usually starts off good, but it just doesn't last for the whole life of the console. So, did you put the um, the old Wii U away, or is it still sitting there? That's in my brother's. My brother has it. <laughs> I never had the Wii. U. I just used his. <laughs> we played Smash Brothers or something. You really didn't need it. Need or need to have that. Um, But anyway, yes, I'm sick. Tim has a new Nintendo Switch with Zelda. Um, And I gotta say, happy 311 day. There's a recording on March 11th. Right, I can't let the episode go too far without saying that. I saw that on Twitter, Tim, and I was was like, this is like Tim's favorite day besides May the 4th, right? 
<laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, May the Force is always number one. <laughs> and then if Batman Day could ever settle on a firm date, <laughs> that well, could be every year. That could be up there, too. I just always what day would it be, though? Um, to, I, mean, I mean, to have, like, one day, what, what, what day would that be? It should be the day Detective Comics 27 came out, which I believe was in May, if I remember it yeah. right. Whatever that date was, that's what Batman Day should be. <laughs> right. Let's um, make that happen, DC. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess we can do our uh, minute by minute commentary. Dark Knight Rises minute by minute commentary. So get your, your HD DVD, get your um, DVD, get your um, uh, beta tape, get your laser disc. The laser disc. I always forget that one, Tim. <laughs> Every time I host, the most. I- yeah, the most important one. <laughs> I know. I mean, how could I forget that? It was so big. Was, literally. Yeah, really, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I only mean literally because uh, I don't think a lot of people bought laser discs. No, they didn't. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't even know what movie came out on, on a, a laser disc. Star Wars trilogy? That's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, LaserDisc, uh, old school projector, if you have one of those. Um, is that it, Tim? I think you got it all. Yep. I should add one more that I was just reminded of. Uh, Blockbuster Rental. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, yes, you have to say that one now. <laughs> yeah, and finally, get your Blockbuster Rental out if you have one of those. Um and just queue it up to the 78th minute, and uh, uh, I'm going to give the countdown. So, Tim, are you ready? Let's do it. All right, three, two, one, hit play. So we see uh, Bruce. Not looking too good, huh? Yeah, not looking too good. I'm just asking Benny to kill him. This is the last thing we're, we're going to see between Bane and Bruce for a while, but <laughs> I always thought it was a good one. Bane saying his plan and what his ultimate goal was not just to break Bruce but you know to have him suffer and then see Gotham suffer and then the classic line you have my permission to die yeah that, that's a great line what was the point of putting him in here yeah, just, you know make his suffering even worse I mean your no. back's almost broken you're in a pit with no way out I mean, right, so okay. crushing <laughs> can you get when you're in that <laughs> situation and when he's telling him the story about looking up to the light, yeah. tempting you to get out. But no. And we're not going to finish the conversation between Oh, Bruce. no. <laughs> I don't think it's, he even made it to his classic line where he said, you have my permission to die. It's weird that, um, you know, ever since we've been doing this minute-by-minute commentary, um, or I should say, when... I first saw this movie. I thought, I mean, these scenes move on, and you know, it, you, you you're not keeping count of the time. But as you go through minute by minute, it seems like every <laughs> single scene is a very, very long scene. I mean, even if it's only like thirty, forty seconds, I mean, that's pretty much an entire uh, commentary, minute by minute commentary for an episode for us. Yeah. Yeah, that's the benefit of doing this minute-by-minute commentary. We're just getting that insight into the movie like we've never gotten before. <laughs> the length of right, we can uh, actually are. We're just truly appreciating every single second, Tim. 
They truly are, yep. <laughs> and that's why we're doing it. Yeah. Um, so now, before we get to our featured topic, Tim, I think I think uh, we should do our uh, album reviews. I give you one to do, and you give me one to do. Um, yep, which I say is a, I gotta yeah. say is a great idea. I know you asked for a three eleven album to review, but now that you're giving me one to review, that makes the best of both worlds. You get exposure right. to bands maybe and albums <laughs> familiar with, and see if we like them. So good call on you, Dane. Yeah. So. Um, I think you can go first, okay. Tim. Now, you yeah. gave me an album by a band I never heard of called the uh, Andronicus. That's right. how I pronounce it, right? Or Titus yeah. Andronicus, yeah. And the yeah. album you told me this to was The Monitor, which was... Right. I mean, to uh, before you get into your, inter- okay. I mean, your review, I think I should say it's a very, very odd album. I'll admit that. It's a, it, it's a punk album, but it's all also a weird tribute to the civil war uh bruce springsteen i'd say (laughs) 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 and just life in general so but i think in the end it's a punk album so um and it's one of the best albums that i've heard in a long time so okay (laughs) there you go (laughs) so for me i think this is kind of going to be a little similar to what you thought of Transistor. I thought it was good. I liked certain songs. I didn't think it was great. And to me, I think it's safe to say it's a concept album, right? Would you agree? Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's a concept album about the Civil War. I'd say that. I mean, there's Civil War themes. The cover of it's even. Uh, the Civil War, of course, believe, right? Or yeah. Yeah, and there's the military drum guidance thing. I'm not sure what you call that. Uh, you know, yeah. so yeah, it's definitely a concept <laughs> album. So, concept albums can be hit or miss for me. I like it when there's a story to tell within the songs. I think that's pretty cool. But kind of what takes me off a little bit is when you have like these intros and outros to some songs where there's just, you know, not they're not music, it's just talking or audio clips or something. That can get a little tiresome for me. Now, this didn't have it too much, but on certain songs, it was starting to end with that. And a lot of the songs were, you know, about eight minutes. So like the last track was 14 minutes, something like that. Yeah. And, you know, songs that change tempos, change styles from the beginning to the end. And those songs are cool, uh, kind of when they're spaced out. I think if there's too many of them on the album, that can get a little tiresome as well. And there was a few like that for me on this album. But the so those are my critiques of it were somehow the concept album stuff worked and some of the songs being a little too long and kind of being the same format but i did like it when you know the punk aspect came into it there was some great guitar riffs in a lot of those songs which i love right and there were some good melodies too uh, throughout a lot of the songs if i had to pick my favorites i would go with the title track a more perfect union that one had a great guitar riff that i liked throughout and then a pot in which to piss yeah <laughs> the title <laughs> i don't think i've heard a song title called that but it was a good song and then theme from cheers this one that was one of those longer songs had a good slow uh melody to it at the beginning that i like and then it closed out with a cool guitar riff so basically the songs that had that more punk aspect to it and when that kicked in i thought was the best part of the album and kind of wished it was more of it like that instead of you know doing kind of the same long songs where it's kind of slow at the beginning and then it gets hard and then it changes a little bit so 
I thought if it could have been a little more variety, it would have been better. But there were some good songs on there. I did, I did, they did have a good sound. Like I said, it's punk into it, and it did have kind of an old time feel. I mean, like you were saying, it's the concept of album about the Civil War. It did have that feel to it, even in the music, which made it a nice blend with some of the more rock slash punk aspects to it. So, yeah, it was good. If I were to score it, I'd probably give it three, three and a half out of five. Thought it was good and solid. Just didn't think it was great. Yeah. You're right. Right. Well, um, I guess now we can move on to, uh, well, you, you, you gave me, uh, the Foo Fighters, the color and the shape, which Um, is, I guess to say why I gave it to you is my favorite Foo Fighters album. One of my favorite albums of all time. Right. It was a, their second album came out in 1997. So I'm giving you albums that came out in 1997, 20-year-old albums. But they're just yeah. that year was good for music, I guess, because those are some of the 311s, Transistor, and Album Fighters. Uh, those are some of my favorite albums. So that, I, the reason I love that album, right. a lot of great variety on there. You got some great hard rock songs where Dave's is screaming his head off, and then you got some nice slow songs to mix it up, and just kind of some poppy rock songs in there too. So I think it covers all some great aspects of rock that I like. So, Dane, I'm looking forward to hear what you thought of it. Yeah. Well, well, I, I didn't write notes for this, um, and I should explain why. Because the first time I heard this album uh, was obviously when you told me, uh, uh, or when you picked it. Um, and that was because... I just could not get into it. Uh, the first, I'd say, five, six songs, I was just kind of waiting for it to end. And then you, yeah, you look at the track listing, and it's, um, is it like 14, 13, 13 14 yeah. songs on this album? 13, 13 songs. And I, the first time I heard it, I was just waiting for it to end because I, I just could not stand... Dave Grohl. So, um, it, it wasn't so much on the the slower stuff, the slower songs, like Walking After You and things like that. It was more on songs like uh, Wind Up. <laughs> the more where I just rock hard songs where you scream. Yeah, it's, it, it's again, like, I mean, I kind of wanted to say, you know, stop putting this on. I mean, I know you're putting this voice on, and it's not really working, which you, you could say for, for Titus Andronicus. You know, they're a punk band, but they made a concept album about the American Civil War and Abraham Lincoln and stuff, and maybe that's overstretching themselves. And I, the, 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 I heard this album, I was like, okay, this this is just not working for Dave Girl. This is not working for the Foo Fighters. And my my most critical thought was where is Nate Mendel on this record? <laughs> <laughs> um it's all guitar. It, it it's all guitar, it's all drums. Um you don't really hear much more than that besides uh Dave Girl singing. And it's funny you should say that actually because uh, the producer of that album was kind of getting on Nate Mendel, like for not being like really up to yeah. snuff <laughs> his bass plays skills on the record. So I wonder if that oh, really? had an effect on it. Where, but there are some good bass lines, I think, especially on uh, "CU," the slower song. There's some good bass lines. There. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say "CU" is a pretty good one. <clears throat> um, so yeah, 
I just went into this album and I was like, oh, I just want this kind of to end. And I don't really want to bash one of Tim's <laughs> favorite albums, but I'm probably going to end up doing that. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Again, I'm getting over a cold. <laughs> um, but luckily, I decided to listen to it again. And I mean, sure, like the first five, six songs, um, I'd even say seven songs because I think the seventh song is that song Hero or My Hero. And I just didn't like that song. I know it's like a Foo Fighter yeah. <laughs> staple, and they, they, they play it a lot, and then they play it on the, you know, when they're live a lot, I guess. Um, but I just did not like that song. Um, but yeah, I, I listened to it again, and I listened to the whole thing from the first song uh, to the last one, and I kind of got it after a while. It it took, a, I mean, it took to like. Um, the 10th or 11th song for me to finally understand what they're doing. It just took them a while to get there. It took them, you know, I'd say like three quarters of the album to get there. And they do show their diversity um, throughout the entire thing. When you look back on the entire thing, they, they do show their adversity. They're not just that prototypical rock and roll band from the 90s. They're not a Pearl Jam ripoff uh, or a Nirvana ripoff. Um, wh- whereas Nirvana kind of got placed in that grunge slash punk thing, I think with Foo Fighters, they kind of opened opened it up to different kind of things, different kind of musical styles. And you hear that with Everlong, again, Walking After You. Uh, My Hero, even though I didn't really like that song, um, so yeah, like I'm so glad that I listened to it a second time because I thought this was just your regular old rock and roll record. And I think by the end, you'll think of Foo Fighters differently. If you're not a Foo Fighters fan, you'll think of them differently because they definitely show you what, that, what they can do um, if you listen to the whole thing. Um, and I have to say my favorite song is probably walking after you. I th- I think they just absolutely nailed that song. It's it's not, not my hero one. It's not wind up. Um, it's not monkey wrench. It's <laughs> another one of their staples. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> right, right. It's uh, walking after you because they show you a different side. And I think that that's the the kind of the point of this album. It's it's not so much that we. That they're trying to say we're you know we're kind of like Nirvana or we're kind of like Pearl Jam or kind of like whatever kind of band, and it doesn't have that you know randomness that I'm talking about that song. It doesn't have that randomness like um, that Green Day song, the, the uh, acoustic one. I can't remember the name. Of good riddance. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have that randomness where where it's like you know look what we can do. We can do a slow song too. It's it's just perfect for that album. Um, so I think no, I mean I mean I know everybody's different, but and everybody has their own opinion. But I think that if you listen to this entire album from the first song to the last one, that you'll see because they open themselves up to you, and I think it just takes them a while to get there. And I think if you listen to every song, it'll definitely pay off. 
in the end. So if I have to give this one a score, I'd probably say I'd probably say three out of five. All right, cool. Yeah, well, I'm definitely glad yeah. you listened to a second time. <laughs> oh, I guess I would have to prepare myself for a two or a one and a half <laughs> score from you. Yeah, yeah, because the first time I listened to it, I was like, oh, my God. It's... What are they doing here? I mean, is he, well, I mean, are, are they just making these regular? I think from the yeah, go ahead. Two short segments that we've had on these last episodes is, was these music reviews. Where I think we're already seeing our different tastes in music for, for a bit as far as styles because the songs I think that you don't like are some of my favorites. I love the hard rock song where David just screaming like wind up in enough space. Those are some of my favorite songs on the album. But if the whole album was just like that, then yeah, I think. It would, you know, kind of get monotonous, but that's why I love it so much when you get songs like Walking After You and See You mixed in the middle there and Hey Johnny Park, which is actually my favorite on the, on the album. But it has a nice variety, like you said. So I'm glad it definitely, you gave it another shot and it clicked for you, even though it was kind of near the end of the album. So Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, going into it, I mean, the first couple of songs, I'm, uh, I'm just like, like, they're trying to be Pearl Jam. That's what the, that that's exactly what they're doing. They're they're trying to be early '90s Pearl Jam, and you just got to stick with it. This is just one of those albums where you got to stick with it, and it, it ends up paying off real well. I feel. Um, and the last song, if I remember correctly, they do go back to that that sound that they they have in like Wind Up, right? And I thought that worked out perfectly because you have. You start off with that, and then you you have more sentimental songs, and then and you end mm. how you began. And I just thought that was a nice way to wrap up uh, the record. So yeah, definitely a good three out of five. All right, for cool. Me. Well, so far we haven't had any albums we actually hated just yet. So <laughs> if we could maintain that, that would be good. Okay, <laughs> good. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that's our album reviews. Um, I guess this is going to be like Why a regular not? thing yeah. for us. Um, <laughs> just you know, give short reviews. It's like yeah. you, you give me an album to review, I'll give yeah, I'll give you one to review, and we'll and review them on here. So uh, anyone listeners want to send some suggestions, that would be cool too. I mean, it could be albums we both haven't listened to. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, like uh, I don't know. Well, I I will say but I'll have to draw the line somewhere though. Like someone says, listen to a Justin Bieber album. Yeah, that ain't happening. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> listen to like a yeah NSYNC <laughs> album. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, uh, why don't you tell everybody at home our uh, future topic for this yep, episode? So for the, yeah, so our future topic for this episode is going to be our favorite mentor characters. Not just in Batman, or well, I'm sure some Batman characters will be on there, but just from all of our favorite franchise. And I got to say, what prompted this uh, future topic idea was. Uh, the latest Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles TV series just wrapped up their fourth season. And spoiler alert, if you watch the show and haven't seen it yet, maybe skip 10 seconds <laughs> from right now. Uh, Master Splinter died in that season finale. And that was the first time, at least in a turtle story I've read, that they killed off Splinter. And it was done really well. It was great action how we went and great some emotional scenes in there too. It was really well done. And, you know, he's been one of the main mentor figure in the Turtles franchise. And I just started thinking, you know, there's a lot of great mentor characters. And I think it's safe to say a lot of them have one thing in common. It's that 
they usually die in stories. <laughs> Even though if they come back to life sometimes, there is a moment where most of them die. So I just thought it'd be kind of cool to discuss some of our favorite mentor characters from our favorite franchise and see which ones uh, were similar and which ones we like best. So um, for me, I got about five of them I'm going to list off. I don't know about you, Dane. How many would you say you have? Um, including Bruce and Alfred, probably a couple, three. Okay. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and guess. start off with my first two. Now, the first one that I have is going to be Master Roshi from the Dragon Ball franchise. And this one is more for comedic reasons, which is why he's going to be last on my list. He's definitely a mentor character, but man, he's one of the more funny ones, <laughs> especially in the early Dragon Ball episodes, the very first series. I'm sure Alex would agree, been being a big Dragon Ball fan. Uh, the way he trains Goku, because he's kind of a dirty old man, <laughs> looks at dirty magazines, and the first task before he could even train Goku is that he has Goku and Krillin, who are little kids, they have to find him a girlfriend. <laughs> and there's all these different antics that happen with him and how he trains them, and just the way these, the female characters in the show just punch him and get mad at him whenever he does a dirty joke or say something stupid. He's just a character where, when it comes down to it too, he does train him and gives Goku the most powerful move throughout the series of Kamehameha, or the most staple one, I should say, because there are more powerful uh, powers, but that one's just the same franchise, and it all came from Master Roshi. And he's a character who eventually dies in the series too, but he does come back. Um, as for, so for mainly for comedic reasons, he's, he's, I laugh so much when he's on screen. And there's one of the first arcs where they enter a tournament, and Master Roshi disguised himself as another fighter uh, called Jackie Chun. <laughs> Try to take a guess of who he was based off of. Uh, but so that Goku wouldn't know he's fighting his master, but so he can go all out and to test his abilities. And a lot of funny stuff happens in there. So if you're looking for more of a type mentor, Master Roshi for Dragon Ball is uh, at the top on the list for that. <laughs> so for my fourth one, I'm going to go with probably one of the most popular mentor characters, and that is Gandalf from Lord of the Rings. And yeah, he's someone who's kind of the typical mentor character who's there from the beginning of the story, sets the character off on his journey, that being Frodo and Bilbo from The Hobbit, and there to give advice when the character is needed and has awesome powers, too. <laughs> so Gandalf, since when I first saw The Fellowship of the Ring in 2001, he was one of my favorite characters from the franchise. He's funny, uh, he's because, like I said, cool powers. He offers some great advice, has some great emotional moments in the movie. You know, one of my favorite moments is when Frodo and Gandalf and the rest of the Fellowship are in the mines of Moria, and they, he can't re- Gandalf can't remember which way to go, and he's just talking to Frodo, and Frodo's just telling him, you know, the burden of the rings, saying it wish it never came to him, and Gandalf just asks, give some advice that you would expect from a mentor character, saying, you know, it's not up to us that these things happen, but you got to take comfort that the ring was meant to find you. It, like I think his exact line was, the ring was meant to find you, just a little Bilbo, and that's a comforting thought. Being, you know, the comforting mentor, older figure character, uh, helping the main character to get through the struggles through this long journey. And then another great line is when he tells Frodo, you have to do uh, with the time. So, I'm going to paraphrase here, but it was making sure we do good with the time that is given to us. When Frodo, after Gandalf dies and Frodo's is, you know, kind of mentally preparing himself to continue on without the, the fellowship and we get that moment where he's about to go on the boat and leave everyone and he just thinks to those words that Gandalf said so like I said 
Gandalf's another mentor character who dies, <laughs> but he's one who comes back also with greater power than Gandalf the White. So Gandalf is definitely one of the one of my favorites too, and he's someone you know. Lord of the Rings is an old story, and I first got into it through the movies, but read the books after that and kind of grew more of appreciation for his backstory and his character and the journey that he had for himself. We start off as Gandalf the Grey, someone you know who's not the most powerful wizard out there, but eventually came back as Gandalf the White to become more powerful. So he had a good character arc for himself. But just as the mentor figure, he does it. He's one of the best there is. So he's number four on my list. So before I get to my number three, I guess I'll let you go with your number three, Dane. Okay. Um, You're going to have to help me out on this one, Tim. Because it's not really a mentor relationship. Because... It's very, very complicated. Um, first, I should say that, yeah, it's not a mentor thing. <laughs> B, I think it kind of <laughs> is, because in okay. the end it kind of is. And that is Palpatine and Vader. Nice. Because, yeah, it's not a mentor relationship, but... How, how does one become a true Sith, Tim? You're going to kill your mentor. <laughs> and what does he do at the end of Return of the Jedi? He kills Palpatine, yep. He does that. So, it, he kind of succeeded in that, but he also failed in it. So, it, it, it's just one of those weird things. It's, it's not really a mentor thing, but I, I, I don't know, I'm kind of conflicted because in the end he kind of wins but in the end he kind of loses so it's very very no, that's a good choice though because it's you wouldn't think Palpatine necessarily as a mentor character but he really is to Vader I mean the Sith Master and the Sith Apprentice and we know their methods are totally right. different from you know the good mentor characters but in a way it's still the same thing so and you know yeah I mean it's it's open for interpretation. Does he succeed? Does it? Does he not? Because of what happens in Return of the Jedi. So I don't know. That's I don't a good know. Call, no, it's, it's something you wouldn't necessarily think of, but I think you can definitely make that point. That yeah, that is the mentor relationship that they yeah. mentor and apprentice relationship. So yeah, I think that's a good one. So for my number three, I'm gonna go back to where this topic started from: the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Master Splinter. And not just from the latest incarnation I was talking about, the current show on Nickelodeon, even though it is one of my favorites, just the character in general. It, what I like Splinter as the mentor figure is that it's more family-based, where it is the father-slash-mentor figure. And in some instances, he actually is the turtle's father. If you're uh, going off the current IDW comics, uh, they do this whole thing where Splinter was in feudal Japan. He had four sons, but they were killed by the Shredder. But... Uh, where they come back in the current time was like a whole reincarnation type thing uh, where they had memories of those past lives but even though they were born in this current life as turtles and him as a rat they have those memories which kind of creates more of that family bond which I think is really cool and this even other incarnations where he is that teacher and that father figure where the turtles need it it's perfect examples in the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie and Raphael you know being behind him it just comes back from blowing off some steam after he had that encounter with Casey and then Splinter's waiting for him at night where everyone else is sleeping and he gives him that 
uh, talk about, you know, channeling his anger that he has and how to deal with it. And then later when the turtles think Splinter might be dead, but he comes to them in that campfire scene and letting them know, you know, how much uh, he has faith in them and how, how much he's proud of them and how they've grown. So he's good at inspiring wisdom and being that father figure, which I love about the character. And plus, he's just an awesome fighter. <laughs> he gets some great action sequences in the current uh, cartoon series. And even in the movie, the 2014 movie, I know everyone likes to bag on uh, the new movies, but Splinter had a great fight sequence in that first one. So every time Splinter gets to show his fighting capabilities is uh, makes for an awesome moment. And you just put that together with type of mentor figure that he is for the turtles and the other characters they encounter so he's a great one and it's he's a character who's kind of grown on me over the last few years as i've become more of a diehard turtles fan and what reading these new comics and watching the tv shows so splinter is my number three so i'll let you go with your number two dane my number two is now you, you can't think of this one as what happens okay. in the end. Okay, <laughs> um, it's uh, it's Bruce and uh, Henry Descartes. Uh, well, that's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> not not not, yeah. not Rachel Gould. <laughs> uh, I I just love their scenes together in Batman Begins. I thought that was a really really good way to begin the movie because it's not Bruce fighting crime by himself he has to truly understand what what uh, the is it League of Shadows or League of Assassins in Batman Begins yeah this is the League of Shadows yeah League of Shadows are doing and to a certain extent he does believe that um, until you know yeah. Well, we all know what happens. So I've, I've got to say, uh, Henry Descartes only, and Bruce. <laughs> yeah, you, you can just tell, too, that moment where Bruce is not going to execute that prisoner. Like, the hurt that Descartes slash Rachel Gould right. has on his face. Like, you know, after all, I taught you, like, now is not the time to be doing this. <laughs> like, you're really letting me down. You know, it's, it's all in his facial <laughs> expression, how he talks to Bruce. So, yeah, good call yeah. on that one. And for me, my number two is going to be Alfred. I mean, talking about similar with Splinter being that mentor slash father figure, I think none is more apparent than that than Alfred. There's so many examples throughout the years he's been in the comics, the animated series, and the movies. And I think it's pretty rare, despite of what you think of some Batman stories and movies, Alfred is always the constant of being pretty good. I mean, even in Batman and Robin, that story arc probably should have been, uh, whether it's more focused on or have it uh, not been a side note where he's sick, that could have made for a compelling story, but it was just kind of, you know, the C plot, if you would, <laughs> in that movie. But even that, those little moments, they were pretty good with Alfred. And I know everyone likes to bag on Gotham, and I'm included on certain <laughs> instances on that, despite me enjoying some of it. Alfred is pretty great on there, too. It's a different Alfred. It's the more tough, hard nosed Alfred, but he's still that. Uh, father mentor figure to Bruce but you know the best I think you're going to get for Alfred is the animated series of Michael Caine's Alfred in the Dark Knight trilogy I mean so many examples in the Dark Knight trilogy but my favorite line comes from Batman Begins when Bruce and Alfred are escaping to the Batcave uh, down that elevator and Bruce is just looking at Wayne Manor burning down he's all like what have I done Alfred and then Alfred says that line that is Bruce's father always said why did we fall so we could pick ourselves back up. 
that was great in itself, but it's what Bruce says afterwards, and where he goes, never, you've never given up on me, and Alfred just says, never. That just, it, it always brings a smile to my face when I hear that, because that nails the Bruce-Alfred relationship. No matter what happens, Alfred is going to be there for Bruce through thick and thin. Even if they don't agree on certain things, Alfred's always going to be there, and he always has been there as a kid. And this, the animated series had some great moments, too. A lot of it, too, is from Mask of the Phantasm, where he comforts Bruce after he thinks he, thinking he's lost Andrea, and he talk, tells him about you know how she fell into that abyss long ago and how he's thankful that Bruce has never fell into that abyss. And then always being there for Bruce, letting him know that his father and parents would be proud of him, even when Bruce doubts it. Because, as Alfred said in the episode, uh, nothing to fear with the scarecrows. He goes, I know your father would be proud because I'm so proud of you. Again, establishing that he is Bruce's surrogate father when he needs it the most. So it's hard to top Alfred as one of the best mentor characters, but you'll see who is my number one pick next. But Alfred uh, is definitely one of the best mentor figures out of all fiction, in my opinion. He's just really great. Yeah, my number one is going to be... Uh... Qui-Gon and uh, Anakin. <laughs> not, not Obi-Wan. Well, it was a short-lived because, uh, mentor relationship, but yeah. <laughs> a meaningful one, that's for sure. Because, because in the end, he was right. He was right about Anakin. So, Qui-Gon and Anakin. Yeah, so I'm going to go Star Wars Route 2 for my number one. And this one, I had a few to choose from. Qui-Gon was on there. Obi-Wan was... But in the end, I have to go with Yoda as my favorite mentor character. And the reason Obi-Wan didn't quite make it was because he's more than a mentor character to me. Sure, he was just out of New Hope, but since the prequels and the Clone Wars series, we've seen him be so much more. I mean, even though we see him a little bit as a mentor figure with Anakin, in Clone Wars, we see him as the general, we see him as the Jedi. So he's not just labeled as that mentor character, which is why, even though he's my favorite Star Wars character... Uh, well, it always goes back and forth between him and Luke, but he's always at the top of my favorite characters of Star Wars. As far as mentors go, I'm going to have to give that to Master Yoda. I mean, probably the first mentor-type character I was exposed to as a kid, <laughs> seeing the Empire Strikes Back for the first time, and I think he perfectly embodies all that makes a mentor character great. I love it, too, where mentor characters or teachers, you know, they kind of test the student before they actually know they're being tested, which Yoda does, pretending to be, you know, the funny little uh, green creature on Dagobah who's annoying Luke getting into his stuff. And yet he's trying to gauge Luke on what his personality is and if he's ready for all this. And so it, Yoda being the type of character who displays great or disperses great wisdom to his students, as we see mainly with Luke, but we get a little bit of Attack of the Clones and Clone Wars too. But Empire, you know, is his time to shine as a mentor character. Like I said, he starts out, he's a funny character, which is always nice. And But, again, the wisdom is what makes Yoda the best to me. The lines he tells Luke are so inspirational. I know a lot of Star Wars fans use them as inspiration in their own lives. And probably my favorite line from Star Wars is from Yoda in Empire Strikes Back. When Luke is having trouble, doubting himself, Yoda gives speech about uh, luminous beings, are we, not this crude matter. But my favorite line probably of Star Wars and when he tells Luke my ally is the force and a powerful ally it is. I just love the meaning behind that where you can take it for so much more than that where you know not if you're alone like Yoda's been on Dagobah for so long or you're struggling you feel you have like no one understands you you're not there. If you had that belief or faith in something as long as you had that 
it's going to be a powerful ally for whatever struggles you're going to. And I just always love that line that Yoda delivers it. So again, another thing that makes him great, he's an awesome fighter <laughs> too, as we saw in the Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, and the Clone Wars. So I love it when mentor characters have all that wisdom and knowledge, but yet they can uh, kick butt when they need to. <laughs> when they... Uh, or have that reputation of being great fighters, and when we see it displayed in action, it's a sight to behold, which it was when I saw Attack of the Clones for the first time. So, yeah, Yoda is going to be my number one pick as the mentor character, even though Star Wars has plenty to choose from, that's for sure. But, yeah, so those are our picks, but we did get uh, a few responses on Twitter when I put the word out to anyone who wanted to share their thoughts. And our first response comes from Ron CLO at cp 3 CP3O as a better handle. Um, he says, I like, uh, Alfred is his favorite. He goes, I like when Alfred plays mentor role to Bruce. Really enjoyed the moment in The Dark Knight when Alfred talked to Bruce about that warlord. Yeah, that's another great example of Alfred being a great mentor figure. Kind of a different type of role than I was talking about. It's my favorite in Batman Begins. But again, explaining to Bruce that not every villain is the same. They have different motives. And that classic line, so I just want to see the world burn. So Alfred definitely pointing Bruce and in the right direction on how to deal with the Joker was a great one too. And then Mark, uh, he gives us a tweet saying, this is going to come from the Highlander franchise. He goes, Juan Sanchez to Connor uh, McCloyd from Highlander. So uh, I might have said this before when talking to Mike on, or not Mike, but Mark on an episode when he was on. Now I'm not really a big Highlander fan. I've never really seen it. It's not that I don't like it. I've just never been exposed to it. But I know that Juan Sanchez is uh, played by Sean Connery. Uh, And I knew he was always a part of the show, despite never seeing it. Just talking to different people and saying how, you know, it is great and Sean Connery is great in it. So if Sean Connery is a mentor character, I'm sure it is a good one. So (laughs) eventually I'll probably have to check that out. But yeah, thanks guys for chiming in. And for anyone else who wants to let us know your favorite mentor characters in an email or something, go ahead and let us know and we'll share it on the next episode. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so that's it for our featured topic. Um, I guess now we can move on to uh, our news and discussion topics. Our first one is Black Mask is teased by David Ayer on Twitter. Yeah, this one is no words. David Ayer just sent the picture of Black Mask. That's it. And David Ayer is a type, you know, he usually tweets out images that pertain to his movies. That was the case with Suicide Squad. So I think I would say, even though it's not confirmed, it's a pretty safe bet we're going to see Black Mask in Gotham City Sirens. And I couldn't be more happier about that. I think seeing Black Mask in a movie would be awesome, especially for this type, of for Gotham City Sirens. And for one, going back to this more, you know, a story that's going to be featuring a villain that's more street cl- street crime level and not something more uh, uh, mystical like Enchantress was and out of the ordinary. So if we get back to that, this Gotham City Sirens, that would be really cool and just Black Mask, Black Mask is a cool character, visually. If they go with the design where it's the black skull that's covering his face, that would look amazing on screen. That's my favorite version of Black Mask. And that was the image he tweeted out. So hopefully they go with that. Because I think Black Mask is definitely a character who deserves to be uh, on screen in a movie and can make for a great villain. So I'm hopeful that... Uh, I should say I'm about 95% sure that's going to be the case. Because you always got to leave a, leave a little room when it's not officially confirmed. But I think... It's safe to say we're going to see Black Mask in the Gotham City Siren, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, Black Mask. Uh, he's definitely a good villain. Um, 
We will see, Tim. <laughs> yes, we shall. And if anything, hopefully this, he just uh, looks cool. Gotham yeah, hopefully he just looks cool. Um, our second piece of news is uh, the new card game based on uh, the animated series episode on Scottam. I mean, now, Tim, I mean, how awesome is this? <laughs> I think you might be the most excited person for this uh, card game. I mean, how cool is that? Make a card game based not just on the animated series, but an actual episode. One of its best episodes almost got him. <laughs> yeah. It, I don't know if you play the game uh, Mafia, which I uh, only played once actually. It was pretty fun, but it's where you kind of. Everyone has these cards, they have these roles of who they are. And how it pertains to almost got him is that, you know, in the episode, Batman is described as, or disguised as Killer Croc. And the point of the game is try to flesh out Batman. Like, who amongst your group that you're playing with is actually Batman? while they're playing and you get the role of the villains who are in the episode joker penguin two-face poison ivy and killer croc and like you try to reveal who actually is batman but then you could try to take out the other villains that you're playing with too so it's a great concept that goes perfectly with that episode and there's a trailer for it uh, for the company that's doing it um i believe you can find it on io9 i think is where the story first came from uh, well, at least where I saw it, and over there they have a, a trailer. So it's, like I said, a great concept for one of the best episodes of Batman the Animated Series. I think if you have a group of friends that you can play with, uh, it should be a lot of fun. So, yeah, it was like io9.gizmodo.com is where uh, the first place I saw it, and they shot the trailer for the card game. So I'll definitely be picking that up, and hopefully I can get a group together <laughs> that I can play. Well, you have a lot of brothers, so... Yeah, so, yeah, we could play that quote some of those classic lines like crocs i threw a rock at him <laughs> it'll be a lot of fun so now i guess we can move on to jordan's email uh yep. you sent one in jordan's right email right here and first off oh oh yeah, right right i have to say for some reason i always accidentally uh, erase or delete uh, jordan's email and i have to go digging through the the bat fans gmail account to uh or the the trash to uh to put it back into the inbox for some reason. I don't know why. Um, well, yeah, so sorry, sorry, Jordan. Well, you must do it pretty quick because every time I check it, it's, it's right there. I never notice that it's gone. So <laughs> you do a good job of taking care of it pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> but for me, I got to apologize to Jordan because last episode I messed up. I said I was going to save his thoughts on uh, Batman number 17 for when we got to our comic book review section. And I just forgot about it and never did. Yeah. <laughs> After I finished my review, I went on to uh, the next comic. So, Jordan, I apologize. I'll read that after I finish this email, and I'm just going to read all of it right here <laughs> so I don't forget. So, Jordan says, Hey, right Tim and Dane. Wow, we've gotten some great DCEU news of late. I've never seen any of Matt Reeves' films, so my excitement about him comes more from the fact that now that a director is set for the solo Bat." Batfleck, Batfleck, the movie is one step closer to being made than it does from his name specifically. I have heard great things about his movies from most people, though. I think I want to check out the Planet of the Apes films. Yeah, definitely do that, Jordan. Especially the second one, because that was the one he directed. I think you'll see he'll do a pretty great job with Batman. He goes on saying, The Nightwing news is great, too, especially since I wasn't expecting it at all. We didn't even have prior confirmation that the character would be in the DCEU, although I thought it was pretty likely. And now, not only do we have that confirmation, but he's getting a solo movie? Sweet. Chris McKay seems to me like an excellent choice to direct. The, the Lego Batman movie really showed me that he understands the, import, the importance and dynamics of the Bat family, and so I think that bodes well for what he could do with a live-action Nightwing movie. 
I have high praise for the screenwriter who's attached as well. Bill uh, WQ? Buck? Yeah, I'm butchering his last name. We'll just call him Bill. <laughs> I, fairly, I fairly recently watched his film, The Accountant, starring Ben Affleck, and I loved it. It had a compelling story, a lot of emotion, and a ton of exciting action. All of which are things that it would be more would be important for a Nightwing movie to have as well. As for the news that Mel Gibson is in talks to direct Suicide Squad 2, I have mixed feelings. I've never seen any of the movies that Gibson has directed, but I know some of them are very highly regarded. My hesitation comes more because of some of the things he's done in the past that lead me to have reservations about him as a person, you could say. That doesn't mean he wouldn't deliver a great film, and we're here to sign... or. Sorry, let me read that again. He says, that doesn't mean he wouldn't deliver a great film, and were he, were he to sign on as a director, I'd still be optimistic about the movie. But I kind of prefer if WB were to give in, go in a different direction. I'm also somewhat confused about why he would be interested in taking the job, given that he recently not only bashed Batman v Superman pretty harshly, but the entire superhero genre. Perhaps given that the members of Task Force X aren't technically, are, are technically supervillains and not superheroes, he feels differently? Yeah, I agree with you 100% on the Mel Gibson stuff and the Nightwing stuff, uh, Jordan. Nightwing's going to be awesome with the people behind it, and I'm still puzzled as to why <laughs> Warner Brothers is trying to get Mel Gibson to direct the su- uh, Suicide Squad too. but we shall see. I wanted to respond to Alex's question about favorite comic book covers as well. Mine would be the cover of the second printing of Batman 608, the first chapter of Hush. Penciled by Jimmy, it's Batman standing atop a gargoyle looking over Gotham City, with his cape flowing behind him and the bat signal shining in the sky. Lee draws Batman better than anyone, in my opinion, and this is my absolute favorite of all his gorgeous images of the Cape Crusader. Yeah, I agree. That is definitely a great one. Uh, my brother actually got a poster of that and has it hanging in his uh, work office, and it looks pretty darn epic. And he has a super one, the Superman one, too, where they're side-by-side, side, where it looks like they're looking at each other. It looks really cool, so I could definitely see why you picked that one, Jordan. He goes on to say, So I thought Batman 18 was incredible. Spoilers. The way the parallels between Bruce and Bane lives were laid out worked really well. Ever since I Am Suicide, it seemed like Tom King has been trying to show the similarities between the two characters. In that arc, Bane postulated that they are both seeking out monsters to kill them so they don't have to take their own lives. Here, we see how they both suffered terrible tragedies with the losses of their parents, but the aftermath of those incidents were polar opposites for each of them, and therefore helped to shape one of them into a hero and the other into a criminal. Bruce had Commissioner Gordon to reassure him that that and then Alfred to care for him once he uh, once he but Bane was on his own and had to survive in nearly unlivable conditions. Also, I noticed a callback to the rooftop scene between Batman and Gotham Girl in issue number six. Batman told Gotham Girl in that issue that he talks to his mother even after her death, just like Gotham Girl does with her brother. Now we actually see him doing that in the flashbacks in issue number eighteen. In those flashbacks, there is also another nod to Batman Year One, just like we got in issue number fifteen which makes me think Tom King might be a big fan of that story, and understandably so, I am too. Meanwhile, in present day, Bane is beating the crap out of Batman, and it's brutal. It really looked like Bane had won, but then he calls his men, and who picks up instead but Catwoman. That was literally a stand-up and cheer moment for me. It felt so good to hear her just rub it in Bane's face that his fight with Batman was just a distraction. And then it was awesome to see how he, or how she, had replicated what Bane did in the Batcave in issue number 16. Finally, we see Bane follow Batman into Arkham Asylum. I have no idea what's to come next, but I can't wait. 
Um, yeah, you'll hear my thoughts on Batman number 18 shortly, but I'm pretty much in agreement with you there, Jordan. But good call on the callback about uh, Bruce talking to Gotham Girl, telling about how he talks to his mother, too. I kind of actually forgot about that while I was reading it, but when I read your email, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. That is an awesome callback to it. So that was great, and you'll hear more from me about that in a little bit. But he goes on to say, regarding my Christian Bale Batman figure, unfortunately, I have to wait a couple of months to send you guys a picture. I'm away at college right now, which means a significant portion of my Batman collection is back at my parents' house, including that figure. I'll try to remember to send you guys a picture of it when I go home this summer, though. It's one of my favorites. And also, it turns out I was sort of wrong about the details of that Bat-Signal replica announced at Toy Fair. It isn't exactly the Dark Knight Trilogy Bat-Signal. It's even better. It actually comes with three different versions of the Bat-Symbol that you can interchange, one of which is, of course, the Dark Knight Trilogy one. Yeah, I, I would say that definitely makes it a better bat signal accessory or toy to have. And his questions say, um, or his questions are, I should say, um, how soon do you guys think we'll see the Nightwing movie? Or perhaps more importantly, when do you think it will come out in relation to Gotham City Sirens and the solo bat flick? I'm pretty confident that Gotham City Sirens will be the first of those three films to be released, but I wonder whether Nightwing or the solo bat flick, bat flick will be next. What is the likelihood that Nightwing would appear in Gotham City Sirens or the solo Batflick Batflick prior to a solo movie? I would really like to see the Bat family be a part of the solo Batflick Batflick. I'm getting better at saying that faster. <laughs> so if that comes out before the Nightwing movie, I hope that's where we first see Dick Grayson in the DCEU. Yeah, for me, I think we're going to see Gotham City Sirens first. Um, then I'd say the Batman, since we know it has Matt Reeves directing and the script for the most part should be mostly done. And Nightwing just got announced that it's going to be in production, so I think that's going to be last. I think that would be for the best, actually, if we get kind of Dick Grayson a cameo or have a small role in the Batman to introduce him there, and then he goes off into a solo movie in Nightwing, if maybe it'll set up or lead into that a little bit, I think that would be cool. So, yeah, if I were to guess, I'd go God Sirens, Batman, then Nightwing. I don't know. Do you think that's not about right, Dane? Yeah. Yeah, I... Th- I, I... I agree with you. I think um, it's definitely going to be a while before we get that Nightwing movie. Yeah, I'd wait too. So as long as I get it right, I'm all for waiting and just making sure the character is brought to screen and done justice the way he deserves. Right. Jordan's second question is, how would you guys feel about Black Mask being in Gotham City Siren, as David Ayer may have teased on Twitter? Ever since I first saw the Batman episode, The Breakout, back in 2006, Black Mask has been one of my favorite Batman villains. So I'm very excited about this possibility. I think he's been underrated and underused in the past. In The Batman, he was voiced by James Ramar, and he was absolutely terrifying. The Breakout is one of the best of that series, in my opinion. It's incredibly suspenseful throughout, and it features a very intense interrogation scene between Black Mass and Commissioner Gordon. If Black Mass is in Gotham City Sirens, I could see him having ties to Catwoman, because that was something that was explored at the end of the New 52 Catwoman title. My, choice, my first choice for Gotham City Sirens is for it to be a movie where the sirens fight the birds of prey, but even in that scenario, Black Mask could be there as a bigger threat for the two groups to team up against in the third act and fighting each other, a la Doomsday and Batman v Superman. But if they do, just make him the main villain of the movie and don't include the birds of prey. I think, he's, I think he'd be good as a choice as any given my love for him as a character. Yeah, for me, I would hope he's just the main villain and that's the only threat they're dealing with. I'm kind of hoping they don't do the whole City, Gotham City Sirens versus the Birds of Prey it's kind of another verse thing going on I think would probably be the wrong way to go in my opinion but if we can have you know villains 
quote unquote anti-heroes maybe which I think the Gotham City Sirens are going to be portrayed as not just villains going against a true villain like Black Mask I think that could be good enough to serve a good story and yeah I haven't seen that episode of the Batman but if he's Black Mask is anything like he was in war games that would be awesome because he was pretty creepy in that as well especially how we tortured and uh, spoiler in that one so if he's anything like that that'd be a great villain to have the Gotham City Sirens take on in this movie so yeah definitely excited for black mask yeah um just have black mask as the main villain i'd say don't have him working for the joker i mean the and the real villain of the movie is the joker yeah um in fact don't even have the grin they don't need to yeah um yeah (laughs) just have black mask as the villain just just have it that way agreed all right, so before we end our listener feedback, I to read Jordan's response to Batman 17 because I still feel bad that I didn't read in the last episode, especially how he starts. He says, I'm really excited to talk about Batman 17, and I forget to read it. So, again, I apologize, Jordan. <laughs> great, you know, great, I'm, I'm Tim. Awful. Uh, but he says, another incredible <laughs> issue, in my opinion. At the beginning, I had a fantastic, it had a fantastic interaction between Batman and Superman. I love how Batman snuck into the Fortress of Solitude, and Superman wasn't even surprised to see him in the slightest. And by not showing how he snuck in, it's left to our imaginations to think about how it played out. We know it's not the same way Batman did it in the Lego Batman movie, <laughs> that's for sure. And Superman wasn't having a party either with the Justice League. Well, that scene was awesome. My only question is what happened regarding the cliffhanger at the end of issue 16. I mean, my assumption at the end of the issue was the same as Tim's in that Bane dressed up other people to look like the Robins, but still, we don't get any explanation as to what happened. All of a sudden, Batman just has the Robins all sedated in the Fortress of Solitude. Even though it wasn't actually Hush, I really like the fact that King used the character in this issue. Hush is my second favorite Batman villain, after the Joker, so I would love to see King tackle him for real at some point. And the Joker as well, of course. The splash page of Batman on the roof of Arkham Asylum is gorgeous. I really like David Finch's art in all the Batman issues he's done in Rebirth, and that splash page is one of the highlights of it. The suspense and danger are extremely high throughout this issue. It got started right from the opening pages when Ben Turner was attacked, and then it really got scary when Selina got shot at the remains of the orphanage. Despite not actually seeing her, it was nice to have Barbara Gordon make a presence by calling her her father. It was also a good moment of character growth for Duke's character when he decided to stay in Gotham after all and help in the fight against Bane. The most notable thing about this arc so far is how high the stakes feel, which goes back to what I was saying about how suspenseful this issue was. I absolutely loved it. So yeah, I pretty much agree with you there. As I said on my review on the last episode, that was a great issue, and this arc has been great in general. So, yep, I'm with you on this one, Jordan. And again, sorry, I forgot to read your thoughts on it on the last episode, but glad to get it out there on this one. So thanks as always for your emails. Yeah, so uh, now we can move on to our comic book reviews. Uh, for this episode, we are reviewing Batman number 18 and Detective Cops number 952. I have to say, Tim, mm-hmm. Batwoman number one came out. Uh, the oh, Rebirth. Right. Did you get it? Uh, issue, I guess. All right. So, yeah, I did. I And I read it. And uh, I just, I'll, I'll just give a quick review because there wasn't okay. much in it. So, uh, Batman number 18, Tim, because I didn't read that All one. Right. So... <laughs> Before we begin, of course, spoilers. And oh, right. I think of a yeah. scale. And I think I got one already. 
emails okay. that Tim forgets to read that Jordan sends in, <laughs> or, or it should be portions of Jordan's email that Tim forgets to read. <laughs> I know, since he puts time and thought into every single email, Tim, that he sends. I know. And you <sighs> <So> forget. <laughs> so bad. Okay. Batman number 18, yeah, as Jordan said, this is another great one. I mean, what makes this issue is how Tom King, throughout the whole course of the issue, lays out the parallels between Bane and Batman's upbringing, their training, and you know the people they had at the time where they lost their uh, parents, or in Bane's case, his mother. It just laid out really good. I mean, the first panel is Bane and Batman side by side in those panels. You see Bruce laying by his mother's dead body, just saying mother, and Bane in the prison cell seeing his mother's dead body, just saying mommy. And then as the issue goes on, we see just a prisoner along with Bane saying, like, come on, kid. And then obviously you see Gordon comforting Bruce, you know, just take one step, then another, we'll get there, it'll be all right. This is beautifully written and really driving home the point of how these characters have had terrible tragedies happen to them as kids, but with different upbringings and different people to guide them through different mentors as that's been our topic for this episode <laughs> to help them steer the course of their life they went to very different places and it's going you're seeing these flashbacks as Bane and Batman are fighting and you see a little bit of Bruce training as a kid studying on his uh, main training as Batman as he's traveling over the world talking to his mother about how this what his situations are and Bane being locked in that prison in that especially under that that well of or that underground section of the prison that we saw Batman trapped in, in the I Am Suicide story. And just seeing how different it is, but yet what's driving them is their their mothers. And the only nitpick I had, I think I might have said this too, for what Jordan was mentioning when he was talking to Gotham Girl, like, why is Bruce just singling out his mother and not his mother and father? Which is a little strange, but doesn't impact, you know, how amazing this uh, way, the story is being told in that way as far as both of them if they just want to focus on the mother, I guess that's cool. But I just wonder why <laughs> he's not mentioning his father when he's going through these uh, different circumstances as a kid. So just a thought that I had. It doesn't ruin anything, though, because it's definitely an impactful stuff. And as I was reading it, I was going, this is really cool. But, man, Batman's getting his butt kicked in this issue. Like, he knows he's fought Bane before. He's no, you know, he's not going to win easily, but he should be able to punch him and get, you know, take him down a little bit. But Bane is just throwing him around like a rag doll and just um, toying with him, really. He's not really being the challenge. I'm like, what gives? And then, yes, we get the reveal that Batman was just letting like, Bane beat him up because this was all part of the plan. Especially when, like Jordan said, once Bane gets that call, uh, or he makes that call on his Catwoman who picks up, I was like, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. They were working together this whole time and she wasn't really captured. I and mean, that, like Jordan said, it was a great moment seeing Bane Tenchman tied up like the Robins were in the Batcave. You know, a little bit of his own medicine there. So, great stuff. The flashback and the dialogue that Bane and Batman had during those flashbacks regarding their mother was really well done. The artwork was fantastic, too. Again, I love how Bane is drawn in this story. Just one of the coolest-looking Batman characters, um, and I'm glad they're using that classic look. It's just so cool to see him and Batman fight together. So, I'm just hoping this issue, we get a moment with the true Batman and Bane fight before it's all said and done, because I just hope this wasn't it. Because <laughs> Batman really didn't do anything. I know it was part of his plan, but yet I still want to see him take on Bane. So I'm excited for what's to come next. This arc has been great so far, so I'm going to give it four and a half out of five portions of Jordan's email that Tim forgets to read on an episode. 
All right. Detective Comics 952. Now, 951 that started the whole uh, League of Shadows arc. It was good, but not as great as the other arcs started off, in my opinion. But this one's getting things off on the right track, I think. So it starts off, this is mainly an action issue, but there's a lot of cool action beats in it. Uh, we get Rachel Gould coming to Lady Shiva in the past, you know, telling him about uh, making her an offer uh, to have him. J- have her join him in his he knows where her daughter is but she refuses and he sends a bunch of his assassins out to take her out but then we get another panel where they're just all on the floor <laughs> beaten and assumed dead and i love how it says 10 seconds later <laughs> driving on the point of how fast and how deadly she is to take out these enemies and so then we get uh back to the present day where the the new bat team is taking on this mob who were at first thought to be affected by Joker Toxin, but now they're waving or using these katanas to take on uh, this, the new Bat team. And they're having trouble with it. Batwing gets stabbed right through the chest with it. And Azrael gets taken down too. So they're, they're having a tough time here. Batman's doing okay along with Batwoman. And Clayface is able to split himself apart uh, to form his own men with katanas to form out of clay to take on these guys. But, you know, that's going to drain him. But my favorite part of the issue comes when Orphan confronts Lady Shiva because we know that is Lady Shiva's daughter, that she doesn't know where. And it's like she's seen her for the first time here. And, you know, what do they got to do as a greeting? They got to fight. <laughs> Knowing how great of they are, that's the only way they would know how to say hello. And we get a pretty cool fight sequence between Orphan and Shiva, but she's as great as Orphan is, she's no match for her mother. And she even tells, you know, stop playing games. I, get, I told you to fight. <laughs> like, almost like, you're not my daughter. You can't be. And these calls are pathetic because she won't kill. She thinks she's holding back. She won't make any lethal blows. And she, you know, takes her out. Doesn't kill her, but uh, she just puts her in a coma, so state. And uh, then Batman and Batwoman show up. And <laughs> I was hoping for a pretty cool Batman and Lady Shiva fight with Batman, you know, putting her in her place. But Shiva was kind of calling him out. Batman even tells, you know, I fought you before and won. And she's all, you know, I, I needed to accomplish something specific that time. And I needed to lose, or I, I let you win, but I'm not doing that anymore. And sadly, she's able to take down Batman pretty easily. And I could buy her being a better fighter than Batman, but not by much. Batman's been trained by some of the greatest martial artists in the world and de- de- devoted his life to receiving training that few people have. I'm sure Lady Shiva has too, but I kind of wish it wasn't so easily that she took down Batman. And maybe I'm, that's the Batman fanboy in me. I know not everyone likes to see Batman dominate in fights all the time and like to see him put in his place, but not me. I like it when Batman shows the dominance. <laughs> so, but it was still a cool moment, though. But uh, the issue ends where the only part I didn't like, I gotta say, is that whole subplot where the Gotham City Police Department is thinking Batman killed the mayor. Like I said last time, it's just a trope we've seen before, and you would think most of the police department would know better. And now they're all gunning for Batman and anyone associated with him. They're gonna, you know, almost like a shoot to kill type thing if they see him on the street. So that's just one thing I could have done without. And then we see the Batwoman talking to her father who is pretty much uh, this is what he was waiting for or was afraid of that would happen. The League of, a Sha- the League of Shadows attacking Gotham and he's pretty much lost all hope and he's telling the Kate to just to get out of Gotham. Leave. There's nothing more you can do. And, you know, just telling her exactly why he's so afraid of the League of Shadows and what they did to him. So, uh, but Batwoman we know She's not going to just run and hide, but she didn't really respond to her father telling her, you know, I'm staying or I'm going. She's, you know, was there to hear her father's story and what Shiva did to him. 
But then you get the emotional moment to end the issue, which I thought was great, where we just see Cassandra crying in the computer room, and Batman just goes to her to comfort her. He just says her name, Cassandra, and she just jumps in his arms, hugging him, crying, and she says, why? Why her, realizing that that's her mother and well, why she could be that? And the, just, the last panel is Batman uh, hugging Cassandra. She's crying. So a great way to end the issue, and I just hope that the story focuses more on Cassandra and her relationship with uh, Shiva and, you know, how, <laughs> how difficult that's going to be for her to take knowing that's her mother. So this issue got things back on the right track is making me more invested than this story than the first part of the story arc did in the last issue. So I'm going to give this one three and a half out of five, uh, Tom, three and a half out of five uh, portions of Jordan's email that Tim forgets to read on the episode. Yeah. Almost didn't get that out right. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with you. Uh, this was a uh, this was better than the last one. Um, what I I don't understand why Batwoman would even uh, uh, talk to her father now. That's what that's what I don't understand. Is it because it's her father? But that's what I take it as. And. Uh- what, why I buy that yeah. is that Jane Tinian's did a great, do- great job in previous issues establishing how close they were in the past, and they did have a special bond, and I think Batwoman realizes a part of it's still there, so that's why she does it. Right. At least that's how I take it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, things are not looking good uh, in Gotham <laughs> right now. Um, you got uh, the, the Bat Team. I like that name, Tim, by the way, the Bat Team, <laughs> uh, taking on uh, th- this mob of people, uh, now Azrael and uh, uh, Batwing have been taken away uh, someplace, uh, the, you, got, you have the whole situation with the with the mayor, um, and you have the, the I, I guess, the Joker stuff, um, not sure what's really going on yeah, there. The League of Shadows just uh, used this formula to make it look like he was behind it, but it's all yeah, yeah. Which brings me to to the, the next part of my point is the League of Shadows is coming. Uh, Colonel Kane says, you know, or tells Kate, like you said, to get out of Gotham. The only thing that you can really do. Um, so things are not looking good in Gotham, and. Again, I I think it's the team dynamic that works really. <clears throat> sorry, uh, that that works really good, and yeah, I I, I just want to see where this story goes. Um, it's it's definitely not as good as James Tinian's first run, that first initial run, but it still has something going for it, and I just want to see where it goes. Um, so I'm probably going to give this one three out of five. <laughs> portions of jordan's email that he worked so hard to put together to him you know he typed it out he thought i mean he thought what he was going to write typed it out sent it and tim just said no to, to, um, to jordan <laughs> yeah I was, I was all planned out i was like i'm gonna take this portion out and not read it say i am <laughs> really i'm not that's how my diabolical mind works <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, and as for Batman, uh, Batwoman number one, uh, th- this was just a recap of what happened in uh, Kate's life. Uh, we we have 
you know, what happened to her, her parents, um, and her sister. And then we have, uh, what happened at West Point, how she got kicked out at West Point. We have, um, the, the lost period is what they're calling it, which is where she kind of lost herself. Uh, and then we have, uh, her, uh, kind of like, uh, getting her inspiration from Batman. Then we have her facing off against Alice. And then we have, uh, um, the, the beginning part of the monster man storyline. Uh, so this was just a very brief recap, but I liked the, the moments that they picked out in, in, uh, Kate's life and, and the, the, the specific moments of her life. So, uh, overall, I mean, and also the art was good. I, I think that's been consistent in all of, uh, the the Batwoman wo- run, um, from Elegy to her own series, uh, to the new few to um, to now is the the art has been consistent. So, uh, yeah, the the the, the art is great. So uh, for this issue, I'm going to give it because it, it, it there was really nothing in it. Um. I'm probably going to give this a three out of five because it's just a recap uh, issue. Uh, so there wasn't really that much in it. So three three out of five times that uh, Jordan sent sent in an email, put a lot of thought and effort into it, Tim. A lot of thought and effort. <laughs> Man, you're really rubbing it in. <laughs> and, Tim, <laughs> and Tim just said no. <laughs> I am not going to read that, Jordan. No, thank you. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, that, that that's it for comic book reviews, yep, right, Tim? That's gonna do it. All right, so uh, go to go to the Batman Universe on net, Facebook.com slash Batman Universe on t- on Twitter. Twitter handle is at Batman Universe. Uh, Tim's Twitter handle or the show's Twitter handle is at Batfans Podcast. Tim's Twitter handle is at Tim G three eleven. I'll say it in honor of three eleven day. This time, Tim, because yeah, exactly. And my Twitter handle is at Dane says Banana. Email the show at batfanswithoutpants at gmail dot com, and, and please rate and review us on iTunes. So with that, like we say at the end of every single episode, Tim, just remember. You're not alone in this world. Tim and Dane do, in fact, care about you. Great, Tim. It's all in my heart. So with that being said, we'll see you guys next time. (laughs) 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 (laughs)